1: Tonight, an incredible interview with MMA fighter Marcus Koa as he shares his powerful story of how he put his life back together after a deadly hit-and-run accident changed everything. His ability to make good out of every parent's worst nightmare should be an inspiration as well as a call to action for all of us. And now... Asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle Finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Taoist Podcast begins now. Welcome back everybody to another fine episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast, episode 127. Our first interview of 2018 And it's a heavy one, you guys, but I think it has me inspired that these are the sort of conversations we should have the whole year because it is folks that are facing incredible, I don't know, grief and a story you wouldn't wish on anybody, but he's doing amazing things with it.
0: Marcos is an insanely good human being. It's like I have a hard time uh, putting. I'm not the nicest person when it comes to, I find myself to be a judgmental little bastard a lot of the time. And a lot of the time I'm way too harsh on people as well as I am way too harsh on myself. So that's kind of, so for me to say I really like somebody, that's not a common thing. He's an amazing human being. So there's really not much more to say than that. It just, he's awesome.
1: So looking at the little blurb about this is a guy who lost his son. Don't let this shy you away at all because it really is. He has handled it better than I think most anybody could. And the story is amazing. Yeah,
0: no, he's a powerful human being. Uh, Is, do you want to tell us, uh, we are saying right now, because we finished recording the interview a few minutes ago, and now we are going to record the introduction and the outro. But is uh, how do I say intro outro?
1: Oh, this is exactly you. intro outro. <laughs> That's how I pronounce it. I think exactly. you all got it. It's I not a bad uh, not a bad likeness. Yeah. All right, Mr. Bolelli, let's uh, talk about the holy trinity <laughs> of kind sponsors. Yes. Thank you so much to
0: Onnit. I just received the package from Onnit minutes ago. Yeah. That's what actually Marcus was uh, snacking on while we were having the conversation. He was having some of the Buffalo Bars and the Otmega Bars. Those are my go-to snacks now. I love them a lot. So Savannah is completely addicted. It's like sometime like halfway through the month before we're going to get the next shipment. She's like, are we going to get more? i we got to catch more. of like, did you go through all of them already? Yeah. Where are we? I'm like, Jesus, you junkie. It's, they're what good stuff. What can you
1: do when you're hooked? You're hooked. Yeah. I, I, my battle base has made it out twice already this year. Sweet. I just think it's a way more fun way to exercise. I just never really liked, like regular iron pumping. Lifting weights and stuff. Yeah, and this just seems yeah. like more of a core workout. And uh, They have a thing if you lift
0: weights that's pretty hilarious. They have these plates. For the weights that are uh, designed in the Captain America shield, oh, that's cool. They're pretty fuddy. They're uh, but yeah, check out on it. Always amazing type of products. Uh, great stuff from the supplements to the workout gear. That's Usara. You know the drill. From uh, clothes we wear, such as this hoodie right here, to the bags, computer bags. You know, I still yeah, uh, Rich is picking one up right now. I still get after all this time we still got a ton of people to this day will tell us, Oh, I just discovered Atsusara, it's awesome, thank you so much. So I'm very, very happy that you guys are digging it. And of course, sure design with the softest, sweetest t-shirts on the planet. Uh one thing I would like to mention, I think I mentioned it in the past, but might as well throw it out there again. Uh, a friend of mine has opened a mma and jiu-jitsu gym here in la called fight science i'll put the links in the episode notes if you live in la and you are deciding to give it a shot whether it's jiu-jitsu or mma i'll put the links in the episode notes It's going to give some kind of a discounts to people who mention the drunken Taoist while enrolling so just letting you know and with that i think we can get rolling right
1: yeah here we go be ready
0: forward to chatting with an absolute gentleman mr marcus Kowal. marcus very welcome to the podcast
2: thank you very much for having me what's going on man how are you doing i'm tired now worn out from sparring and uh getting ready for my very last fight but otherwise life is good when's your next fight february 17th for cxf here in california
0: so if you guys are in L.A., you like MMA, you want to check it out. Uh, we'll be releasing this episode probably a good chunk before. So you have some time to look for tickets and everything else. So that's going to... You know where in L.A. is going to be? The yes,
2: uh, it's going to be in Studio City at the Sportsman's Lodge. Sweet. Perfect. So if you guys are interested...
0: You know where to find it. Today we have the battle of the European accents, (laughs) because you want to tell the good folks where you're from?
2: I'm from Sweden originally. I lived in England for many years, so that's why I have more of a British accent, I guess. (laughs) But I've moved around a lot, Germany, France, Mexico, and now sunny California. So a lot of times people think I'm from South Africa because my accent's all mixed up. It's funny, it's, uh, I'm so awful with accents that because I don't even hear my own, I don't hear anybody's
0: accent. It's <laughs> like there are people who have this super thick accent and they are like, oh man, did you got a lot of that accent? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I thought they talk, spoke perfect, normally, you know, standards from Kansas, right? It's, uh, not quite. And, um, so yeah, we, but we're going to be chatting about... Bunch of things beside, uh, you know, probably we're not even going to chat much about MMA, but we'll see the, um, tell us Marcus a little bit. One thing that I know you wanted to talk about is something fairly horrific that has happened in your life. That really, I mean, doesn't really get any worse. Um, we are both, both you and I are on a first name basis with grief and heavy vibes in, but if you want to tell people exactly your experience in this regard and
2: yeah uh on the 3rd of september last year 2016 my 15-month son liam was killed by a drunk driver a uh, 72-year-old woman who was drinking and driving at 3:30 in the afternoon <sighs> my uh, my wife's sister who was 15 at the time was crossing a pedestrian crossing did everything right there's footage of it when a 72-year-old woman uh, decided to drink and drive, um, and fr- at the American Legion, and blew straight through the crossing, striking my uh, sister-in-law, who broke both bone pipes in one leg, and uh, hitting my son's stroller and uh, left him brain dead because of that. Apparently, according to witnesses and the footage, I haven't seen it and I have no interest in watching it either. But she stopped for some 20 seconds and then decided to flee the scene as well. Of course. And uh, luckily, three um, civilians followed her and managed to block her in a few uh, blocks further down. And um forever grateful to those people doing a citizen arrest. And at the time, she blew a 0.12 blood alcohol content which later on when they took her in to do the blood test, was down to 0.09, which her lawyer tried to argue was then her blood alcohol whole limit. But the matter, the fact of the matter is that she had stopped drinking and it was just uh, leaving her system. But she blew 0.12 at the scene. Right. Also had marijuana <clears throat> metabolized in her system. And uh, that was easiest the absolute absolute hardest moment of my life yeah uh, because when i arrived at the scene i saw my son stroller in, in two pieces and i thought there's no way that he has survived this but then a police officer said that he was breathing on his own and and uh his heart was beating and he had a pulse so then hope rose that he was going to make it and uh, we came in told us that his leg was broken his ribs were broken his spleen was broken but you know we were still hoping that at least of he's going to survive and then they did a cat scan and they were concerned with the bleeding on his brain and from being in the fight industry i obviously know that the potential danger with trauma to the brain and the bleeding on the brain so they said it was pretty severe and then you, you know right away you think okay how how severe is it is it going to be able to have a conversation. Right. Is he going to be able to eat on his own? No. But that's okay. Whatever it is, yep. at least it's going to live. Right. And then, you know, it's been a, a long learning process this past year. But what I learned at the hospital was that you can be declared dead through your brain. Most of us know that usually when someone dies, because the heart stops. Yep. But you can be declared brain dead as well. And um, you... You get declared brain dead by doing two tests. You do a test where they look for reflexes, mm-hmm. apnea for breathing, uh, response from different, from the eyes and so on. Once they do that test, you have to wait 12 hours and then two doctors have to be present and then they redo the test. Mm-hmm. And that's when then uh, someone can be declared brain dead. And those 48 hours uh, is torture I wouldn't wish upon my eyes worst enemy and uh another thing that made it very difficult once this second test had been done and he had been declared brain dead um you know we stayed at the hospital for another 48 hours because we decided to donate our son's Mm -hmm. organs and because of that they kept him on life support and um, in in his case you know he didn't look like he was very damaged he had some bruises and some scrapes but it looked like he was sleeping yeah of course and as a parent as you know yeah to have to walk away from what you love more than life in itself and what you've been programmed your whole life to never leave and not just myself but to to bring my wife with me and i had to actually i had to physically bring my wife with me Mm -hmm. um it's it's just thinking back at it It, it's uh yeah it's it's torture, torture of course yeah it's the worst that you can possibly imagine yeah and uh it's 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 been a long year it's been difficult but it's at the same time it's been rewarding in many ways seeing it's easy in today's society to especially if you watch the news uh to be a little bit cynical and 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 um not know if if this world is that good of a place Mm -hmm. but the light in the past year has been to see how many people has reached out and very early on, while we were still in the hospital, we decided that me and my wife Michelle decided that we're going to make sure that our son's passing isn't going to become statistics. Because of what happened to our son, change came over it. And um, um, we decided to start our son's nonprofit, Liam's Life Foundation. And we have accomplished a lot in a year. Um, we had a Super Bowl commercial that ran for the Department of Transportation in Missouri. Uh, we have given out three scholarships with our non-profit, Udacity University, which is uh, an honor program for autonomous cars, self-driving cars. And uh, there were four ride scholarships to three students there. And we did a social media campaign that went viral worldwide, doing 100 kicks a day for Liam and uh, to raise awareness for... The fight against drunk driving and the need for organ donors and when i say i've learned a lot in this year i've learned a lot in many different areas and i've learned a lot about the political system in this country um and how difficult it is to make a difference because of in the end of the day it comes down to revenue bottom line for companies and it's all about money how poor the legal system can be at times and drunk driving how big of a problem it is in this country mm-hmm. someone gets killed every 53 minutes um that's the equivalent of a jumbo jet crashing every single week um and organ donation i didn't know at the time how many people are in desperate need of organs every mm-hmm. day just in the united states 22 people die waiting for an organ the people that are on the list waiting for an organ you couldn't fill madison square garden it wouldn't wow. be enough for the people that are waiting for an organ 94% of the U S population say they're willing to be donor organ donors. Yeah. Only 54% of the population actually are organ donors. So those are the areas that we work on with the nonprofit and then grief, obviously, as you know yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm a, I'm a, in January, a very, very happy person and I don't have mood swings and, uh, I've never dealt with depression. Um, and for the first time in my life, it was, it was difficult getting out of bed of course, in the morning, course. because the 4th of September when, when my son was declared dead, it felt like life, like life stopped. Yeah, I know, I mean, I guess
0: that's the number one question is how do you pick up from there, you know? How do you, how does someone deal with really just, as you said, kind of the thing that you don't want, you don't wish on your worst enemy? how do you say okay now let's go out to eat let's go do you know mundane the stuff that daily life is made of yeah. how does it still make any sense
2: it was it was difficult and uh, in my case you know i've done a lot of i enjoy people in general i, mm-hmm. I enjoy meeting people i enjoy studying human behavior yeah. and uh, in in a strange way i kind of self-analyze myself going mm-hmm. through this process and um My grief process was very different from my wife's. Mm -hmm. We're very different in the way we handled it. And we went to see a a therapist, which at first I didn't feel like I needed, not because I don't respect the the profession. I uh, think psychology is is great and I think therapy is great, but I just know myself very well and I know Mm -hmm. what I need in life to get through something, even though I hadn't been through anything remotely close to what we went through but i'm glad we went because i learned to understand the seven steps of of mm-hmm. grief i learned to understand how my uh grieving process was very different from my wife's it's very common that couples break up after of they lose a child and it was it was i know my friends and and family as well were concerned that we weren't going to be able to stick together but that was never an issue in fact if anything we've grown even stronger together and we said while we were still in the hospital that we would communicate everything with each other and it's really sad to see that couples break up because this is the person that you love you love of them course, so much that course. you decided to create life with yeah. them and when that life uh, was taken usually because of the lack of communication yeah. understanding each other's grieving process people uh, don't are not able to to stay together yeah. and uh, I started writing four days after the passing of my son. And I started writing. It was, uh, it it feels like you're going crazy. It Mm -hmm. feels like you you, you literally think you're going insane. And you you have to find outlets. Mm -hmm. And in my case, just like I know in your case, martial art was one of those outlets. But it it wasn't enough. And it took some time before I can even get back to training. Um, So writing actually really, really helped me. And the more time I, I spent meeting parents, especially fathers who had lost children, I, I realized it was very common that years down the line, they were still very bitter, very angry, mm-hmm. a lot of times that turned to drugs and alcohol, and it's certainly not something I condone, but I do understand yeah, of the the need to find uh, a way to 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 numb that pain yep. because it's so intense that it feels like you're going insane. Mm-hmm and so that writing turned into a book that's been released in in Swedish even though I actually wrote the book in in English and um it's coming out in a few months here in in, in the US and yes it's 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 a sad story um but it's also a way for me to honor my son a son and yeah. it was written for my son but it's also a way to show people how I think was a healthy way to to deal with with grief mm-hmm. and uh, the writing the martial art the non-profit uh gone out speaking a lot about what we went through has at times been very very difficult because this became this was uh, a news story that spread not just in the u.s but it was worldwide and literally right. worldwide from japan to russia to holland mm-hmm. sweden france and both me and my wife have spoken about it many times and wondered why because unfortunately every single day children die yeah, of course. every single day several people get killed by drunk drivers and we don't know why this story became uh, yeah. news world news but potentially because he was so young for potentially sure. because so many UFC fighters from Fabricio Vardum who dedicated his fight to, to my son to this kick challenge several UFC fighters did the kicks for Liam such as Uriah Faber TJ Dillish or uh, Cobb Swanson um Dwayne Ludwig, Boss Rutan, So it it, it really raised awareness to drunk driving. And the name Liam actually means uh, the protector of others. Um, When he was born, the very day he was born, I posted something on Facebook saying he can be whatever he wants to be. um, As long as he he has a positive influence on this world. And obviously this is absolutely not the way we were hoping that he was going to save lives. But, Directly, he saved lives by donating his organs, but also indirectly by people writing pledges to us saying that they've they used to drink and drive, they will never do it again. To friends telling me stories how they got into arguments with friends trying to drive home drunk. And, of course. Um, with the nonprofit, we're working in, in three main areas with the drunk driving side, and um, we I'm out speaking a lot uh, at schools trying to change the next generation, and especially young males which mm-hmm. are the biggest risk zone when it comes to drunk driving um and uh a lot of times i think especially young high school guys you know to to them it's it's cool it's a mixed martial sure. arts fighter coming out speaking to them even though i'm telling the same story as as a mother who's lost yeah. her child but I, at least i get their attention yeah, to begin with um to lowering the legal blood alcohol content and changing the social attitude towards drinking and driving in this country, which is so different from Sweden where I'm from where we have zero tolerance. Where in Sweden, drinking and driving and to have a DUI on your record is something that's it's an embarrassment. Yeah. It's something that you're, you're ashamed of and people lose their jobs, friends, uh, because of it. And our fight isn't with the alcohol industry. Uh, our fight is with getting behind the wheel when you've yep, been drinking And in today's society there's you have no excuse to why you should have to even because of right sharing uh, programs such as uber and lyft dedicated uh, designated drivers and so on you yep. have no reason to why you should be allowed to get behind the wheel and if you can afford a drink at a bar you can afford an uber and um, again yeah, i mean that's what i was like. I have zero
0: problems with people putting in their bodies, whatever they want yeah. as long as it's affects them. Exactly. When you get behind the wheel of a car and suddenly you are making your choices be potential, even if it, nothing happens, but potentially you're yeah. making everybody else pay, Yeah. you're an asshole. You yeah. know, that's the reality of it. And to me, it's like, I agree with you. It's like, whereas I have the most super open ideas about what should be legal in terms of for people to do in the privacy of their own home. I agree. I have 0.0 tolerance when it comes to the UI because it's like, no, you know, it's not a, Oh, I only did it once. Well, once is too many. You know, once is just once you fucked up once is you, even if you didn't, you could have killed people. It takes only once, like you said,
2: and, and the effect of, drunk driving forget legal costs of going yeah. to trial and yeah. um, you know all the cases where you don't kill someone sure. but the medical costs of it but um, you in, in our case you know we, Michelle's sister she's 16 she has severe PTSD she still struggles crossing the streets watching people crossing the street and a ton of survivors of um, to obviously me and Michelle but my my little my brother's kids who are asking about the cousin and yeah, where course. he is now. And, um, and you know, we, we spoke about it before, uh, we started the podcast the year before Liam passed. There was a, a, one of my members at the, our gym systems training center that was killed by a drunk driver. She was 22 years old in a brand new BMW. Yes. She's going to go to jail and yes, she's going to get out of jail, but for the rest of her life, she's going to live with the fact that she took an innocent person's life yeah. and, Again, my anger, it's really important to get over that anger when it comes to, to loss. But my anger isn't, this woman, she's not even worth my energy. She's not even worth my thoughts. But my anger is with society, mm-hmm. a society that are so accepting of drinking and driving. Because driving in, in itself is not a right, it's a, it's a privilege, and uh america i love america and that's why i live here um and it's great in so many aspects but even if you're like back to mixed martial arts even if you're the best in the world even if you're conor mcgregor you still got to keep working on, on your weaknesses and improving just because you are the most powerful country in the world and the best country in many aspects doesn't mean you don't have flaws and weaknesses and in order to grow you have to you have to self-analyze and you've got to look at those weaknesses and 0.08 is, 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 it's not acceptable. America is the third country in the world per capita when it comes to deaths because of drunk driving. After South Africa, which is a country with a lot of issues, Canada is second, which is also crazy to me, but they're still low. There used to be 60% of all fertilities uh, in, in, uh, drunk dr- uh, in driving accidents were because mm-hmm. of drunk driving. They're down to 34%. So, they've, lowered it by almost 50 percent but it's not enough um and we look at europe countries like italy where you're from and, and germany ireland countries with strong drinking cultures were at some point at point zero eight, and then lowered it to 0.04 or 0.05 and surprise surprise the amount of deaths have lowered by 50 percent so um and the the only counter argument we are met by is there 's no statistics showing that lowering is going to make a difference, which is clearly not true because we see it in Europe right. It has been done, and it has made a difference. but even if you 're not one hundred percent sure, why not try it? Why not try it yeah. because again, the only thing you 're doing is potentially risking saving lives so and and then we are met with oh but it 's going to be more costs potentially uh, taking these people to court. Well, have you look at the medical costs? Yep. Have you look at the of legal course. costs of dealing with manslaughter, which it was in this case? A one a one year trial with a district attorney. Yep. It it, it costs uh, Americans on average five hundred dollars per every single American
1: in just dealing with drunk driving. Wow, yeah, that's nuts. Yeah, does it make you crazy when you see every sporting event in this country, every third commercials of beer or something like that? I just and. They always put it at the very end and drink it responsibly for like a millisecond. Like they're, oh, we're covered now. See, we told them to be responsible. But is that sort of revenue so important to sports that they wouldn't survive it if they maybe took the beer ads off of a sporting event? I think they could probably find somebody else that would take those spots. Possibly. Obviously, the alcohol industry
2: is one of the biggest industries in not just in the United States, but in the world. And, uh, uh, you know, it it doesn't really we've we've met with a lot of different um, organizations that asked me to be spokespeople for a spokesperson for them. Um, One of them was in California, for example, they're trying to keep bars open till 4 a.m. And I'm from Sweden where nightclubs are open till five o'clock in the morning. And do you have other issues because of staying open longer? Yes, you have a lot more fights. You have, I'm sure, sexual attacks and so on. I haven't looked at those numbers, but I'm sure they go up as well. But that's not my fight. And uh, I I do believe that, you know, entertainment in general, a lot of times are associated with with alcohol. And um, do I believe that... (laughs) With less alcohol in this world, would the world be a little bit better of a place? Yes. But at the same time, I do believe, uh, like Daniela said as well, in people's rights to enjoy alcohol and and, and in a responsible way. And I've actually reached out to a few of these alcohol companies and said, hey, come on board, work with a nonprofit to show that a fight isn't with the alcohol industry per se. And, And Bacardi, for example, which is like you said, drink responsibly, don't drink and drive. If that's your statement, then stand behind it and work with us and say, go ahead, enjoy our product. Just don't get behind the wheel. And we're actually now going into work with our first bar in Hermosa Beach, um, where the owner said, I want my bar to have zero tolerance. Mm -hmm. Come in and drink. I want you to enjoy our place. Obviously, that's the bottom line. uh, But but don 't get behind the wheel afterwards, and there 's been some other organizations there 's supposed to be some type of responsibility on the bar uh, on, the, on on the bartenders but it 's impossible for several reasons if it 's a busy bar you yeah. don 't have time to watch the people okay. yeah. it 's it's never going to happen because an owner of a bar in the end of the day you 're interested in your bottom line, and that 's your job to sell alcohol and In the end of the day, the bartender doesn 't know that you have a designated driver you 're going to take a taxi home. If anything, in my opinion, the valet parking outside that nightclub—they're the ones that should have some type of responsibility because they're the ones handing the keys over to to the person that can't walk straight. And um, we actually ha- scraps, come here. We actually have a um, these breathalyzers from from Sweden where you can place them in hotels, restaurants, nightclubs. You get like it looks like a little straw, and you can. Um, find out where your blood alcohol content is and um, one of the things we got a, a device from a company called backtrack um, m- one of my problems with 0.08 is in sweden when you have 0.02 the whole population knows it's one drink you're going to have to wait 60 minutes at least preferably 90 minutes and then you're okay to drive when i go out to high schools my first question is what's the legal blood alcohol content in the u.s. Some kid always knows it's 0.08 My next question is, how many drinks is that? Some kids say two, three, someone else say six, and that 's the problem. So you have three, four drinks, and you think you're okay. What happens when you 've been drinking? Well, your decision making isn't the greatest, and you think you're superman um, you get the the liquor courage and you think one more i'll be fine, and maybe one more and now. It's it's subjective, anyways, right? Yep. It's from day to day, from person to yeah, person. Of course, somebody's two hundred and
0: fifty pounds on a full stomach, somebody's ninety pounds on an empty stomach. Who's making the drinks? Kind of story. Yeah. yeah, of course.
2: And so that is one of the problems with, with 0.08. You actually, and, and, and even the US recognizes that you are uh, you're, you're drunk or uh, intoxicated at 0.05. So you can actually be arrested from point zero five to point zero eight. You can have, you can be detained. You just can't be prosecuted for it. Wow! So that's now that's the dumbest idea in the universe. Like <laughs>
0: the moment you assume that yes, that is impaired driving. Yes, but it's uh, just a
2: little impaired driving. Exactly. So we won't.
0: That just makes no sense whatsoever.
2: Zero sense. And now you're, you, so you, you, you're recognizing that it's you're intoxicated. Well, we've just you're admitting that this isn't, you're not in a perfect state to drink to, to drive, but yet it's not made out. Yeah, that no, that's illegal. ridiculous. That's so. completely insane. And again, it's one of the thing that is like, yeah, I agree
0: with zero. T- and to me, there are two different, when it comes to the legal aspect, there are two different aspects. The one you are hammering on, which is the, how much alcohol. And again, yeah, I took my idea. There's zero alcohol, you know, don't yeah. period, you know, you don't drink. Uh, if you drink, You have somebody else drive you, you have a cab, you have Uber, you have all that. Same thing with any other substance, by the way, because anything that impairs your driving in the slightest way, no, um, that's just not an option. The other thing is the what happens when you do get convicted. Let's say you have only, you know, you didn't kill anybody, but you did get busted for a DUI. To me, that's a serious deal. It's not like after offense number two, three or four, mm. then we take away your license. To yeah. me, it's like, you clearly have demonstrated that you don't have the maturity to make right decisions. At that point, you shouldn't be driving, you know, think I, about it before you had it. you know, Oh, but I can get to my work. Well, that's really tough shit because it's yeah. like, that's, you could have thought about it before you did it. Now, get a job in your neighborhood and go on a bike, have <laughs> fun, you know, that's just where it's at. I don't, I really don't see it as a, That's where, to me, I really have no tolerance on that, even on term of um, the consequences afterwards. There is no three strikes. There is no, you know, one time is one too many. By the way, one time that you got busted, the odds that you got busted on the very first time you do it are extremely slim. The odds are if you got busted is because it has happened already quite a few times they have done it and you haven't gotten
2: busted. So on average, 80 times, 80 times people have driv- a, a driven drunk before they get arrested. That's wow. my point. If it was two times, you would be bad.
0: Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, no, you get busted. You're done. You know, it's I like completely kiss agree. goodbye to your license for at least a considerable enough time that it makes you think will give you a new shot a year later, two years later, five years later, whatever the appropriate thing
2: may be. And if it ever happens again, you're done driving. That's it. I completely agree. And that's one of the biggest problems. And California, is, which is a forward-thinking state, um, still has a problem because you have these uh, breathalysers that you get installed into your car. Now I think it's after your third strike or something, automatically you have to do And people are complaining, saying, well, it's embarrassing to have that in the car. Well, you should have thought of that before. And and you're right. You know, you drive drunk. Everyone can make mistakes. Uh, you were young. You were dumb. You made a stupid decision. You get one chance. Yeah. And uh, the problem in the U.S. is that you have these loopholes in the law, and then you have these lawyers that specialize on in it. Drunk DUI lawyers, yeah. which in my opinion are the scum of the earth. Yeah. Because Basically, yes. I <laughs> completely understand. Even if you are a serial killer, you have the right to be uh, sentenced and judged by your peers, and making sure that the law is followed but to specifically seek out ways and loopholes in the law in order to be able to make sure that these people get um get off yeah. and and that's what they do in the u.s it's a slap on the wrist i've again spoken to of fathers the lost children i, I spoke to a coach um, from minnesota lost his five-month son to a six-time a, a repeat offender after the first time there's your chance you're right Suspended license Three to six months And that's one of the biggest issues With with, In my opinion When it comes to the social attitude Is It's about the inconvenience to them Yeah Oh I can't drive to work It's not about you It's about the people you potentially hurt or kill. And especially after the second one, forget about it. And now with drunk driving, you have two groups. And and this is what makes drunk driving a special case. If you look at drug dealers, gangbangers, and so on, it's a a certain group in society to decide to go that route. Drunk driving, you have politicians, you have law enforcement officers, you have lawyers, doctors who think, I'm not a criminal, and they're entitled and this is my right, which is not. Um, but in order to, to change that social attitude to lo- instead, instead of looking at it as an inconvenience to you, looking at it as an embarrassment to you, risking other humans mm-hmm. lives is what we're working really hard on. And then you have the second group of, of addicts whether it's drug or alcohol addicts sure. who don't care what the limit is because the alcoholics, yeah. um, and that's why the third area that we work on with the non-profit which is self-driving cars is the ultimate solution because now you're taking the responsibility out of the hands of the person uh, out of the human and you know uh, automatic braking systems and and self-driving cars already exist there's five stages of that Tesla has gotten the furthest we're on stage three right now stage five is there's not even a steering wheel in the car and, and you just get into the car but we're at least ten years out from that, right. and uh, with these um, scholarships that were given out, we're hoping to get to zero deaths because of drunk driving. Um, the goal right now is two thousand thirty. We would like to lower that to two thousand twenty-five. Right. So those are the three areas, and you asked me how do you deal with it, and and I, I've thought about this a lot, and. Human behavior and motivation, drive, grit, whatever you want to call it, is something that's always been an interesting topic to me. But over the past year, uh, it's become even more interesting. And and I, the, the truth is, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But I I know that I made a decision that we are going to find our way back to happiness again. And and then the way I look at it is, there's there's a road. And my eyes got to stay focused on that road. There's a lot of side roads with all the what ifs, if only, if I could have done this, if no, I could no, have done you that. You can't go down that path. can't. It's toxic. Yeah, of course. And it doesn't lead you anywhere because you can't go back in time. You no. can't stand still in time. You can only move forward and try to make the best out of a situation. And grief in itself, I look at it as 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 a cloud, a dark cloud. And when people turn to drugs and alcohol, it's... it's is to avoid that cloud mm-hmm. and you compartmentalization and blocking it out, you can do that for a certain time, but it's going to come back and it's going to you're going to come down crashing on you, so you have to get through it. Okay. I feel like I might have gone pretty straight through it, um, which made it very difficult at times. If you look at my grieving process versus my wife's hers was much more stable how did she how was it different? It was different um because She's a much more autistic person, and, and um, she dealt a lot with, with survivor's guilt, and, which is when it comes to emotional pain, it's different from physical pain uh, in the sense that it's not rational. Mm-hmm. My wife is very, very intelligent. She's very rational in general. And um, that, the day the accident happened, she was studying for a final exam. And that's the reason why her sister took Liam for a walk to go pick up food for us. Yet she felt, maybe I shouldn't have studied. If I only had, I shouldn't have let my sister go. But it's not her fault. It's not my fault. It's not her sister's fault. I'm actually very glad that there's footage of it because it shows very clearly that Michelle's sister did everything right. Because naturally, the thoughts go down that road. Of course. Did she do everything? Was she on her phone? Who can we
0: blame? Right. It's, uh, no, of course, of course. And
2: um, I'm very glad that, um, that footage exists to show that she did everything right. But um, it's survivor's guilt is is very, very common. And when we were at the hospital, I thought Michelle will never be okay again. Mm -hmm. She'll probably end up in a mental hospital. Right. And my fight and was my, my, most severe pain was to watch my wife go through what she did and not be able to do anything while still trying to deal with my own grief.
0: How did she start climbing now? Because I agree. I mean, to me, it's like, it's weird because survivor guilt makes no sense whatsoever. None. If you have done nothing wrong, yeah. you know, it's different if it's your fault. Okay, that's a yeah. different story. But if it's not your fault, then there's really no rational basis whatsoever. But it really doesn't matter because the point is what hurts you is the idea that I am breathing where somebody else I love is not. Yeah. I am enjoying this thing tonight. Somebody else I love is not. It doesn't matter that it's not your fault. Mm. It still fucks you up. Yeah, and it's co- so. It, ration, there's nothing there rationally anybody can say that is gonna make you go, "Oh, of course, you're right. I have no fault." Yeah. That doesn't really help. And so it's like you can solve rationally a problem that has a rational cause. You can't really solve the problem rationally. That That's not a rational cause, you know. It's like, we agree that rationally we are on the same spot. The problem is it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's still in there. So how does, um,
2: in her case, how does she work around that? It was a slower process. It took a longer time to, for her to get through. And, and still, till today, you know, it comes back at times. Um Yesterday, we were, me and a couple of friends were walking to to go to the bank, and um, she calls me because she she knew we were crossing that very street where it happened. And she gets almost like anxiety and said, Are you guys okay? I haven't heard from you in a bit. I said, Yeah, it's just a long line at the bank. Um, But the way I looked at it, so we went to this therapist, um, and I'm glad that we went because it taught me. The steps of grief, and for me to understand michelle 's grief, and um, I said very early on that we 're going to find our way back to happiness, and right. the way I look at it is if it was the other way around, if Liam would still be here and uh, and I would have passed away. I would have wanted my son to always remember me, but I would never have wanted him not to lead a happy and and positive life. Of course. And the type of person we were raising like Liam to be and the type of child that he was, he was very, very caring. He was always sharing his favorite foods and giving his toys to Mm -hmm. people, a very social child. I I know he would have grown up to be a person that would have wanted us to be happy. And because of that, I, I know that the truest way to honor my child is the most to do the most I can in his name. And, but you know, even with knowing that and being a rational person, I remember the first time you smile, Mm -hmm. you think, how can I smile when my world has stopped? Precisely. Like the more good things happen in your life, the worse you feel. Yes, yes. And the first time you do something and you don't think of them for two minutes, you think, wait, how can I, how can I not think of the person for two minutes? And, um, but you have to work through that. My problem was, and the therapist explained this to me, the reason why I think I was able to move forward faster is the part of the brain that handles physical pain and emotional pain, is the same part of the brain. Mm-hmm. So from fighting for so many years, obviously, you, as you know, you endure a lot of pain and you just go through it and you keep going. Whereas hers was slower, it was more steady and and mine was more of a roller coaster yep. because another thing from from being an athlete is i 've been through a lot of injuries, and you have learned that the harder you work the 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 faster you work, the more you do, the faster you get yep. better at it or the faster you get well but emotional pain doesn 't work like that, so it 's almost like running with a rubber band attached to you, so the faster you sprint, the harder you come crashing yep. down and It happened to me where one day I woke up and I couldn't get out of bed I wasn't sick I was nothing physically wrong with me I just could not get out of bed and what I learned at times it was frustrating but what I learned was you just have to accept it and and be okay with it it's okay not to be okay and um when I went back to working at the gym so we have uh now four locations, but at the time three locations. In Hawthorne, we have a, a, an office upstairs where I could go and be. But when I started going to Westwood and a senior location. It was almost like I would get anxiety because yep. I knew as soon as I walked into that place, members and staff sure. and instructors want to talk with, to you. Of and no place to hide. Nowhere yep. to hide. And, it, you know, it can come. Some days it's triggers, but some days I can look at pictures and I can talk about it and I'm fine. And the next day I, it's always could be a song yep. that comes on the radio and, and you break down from it. Of course. And... Uh, it, it it was almost claustrophobic going up there because obviously in the gym as well it's high energy and yep. uh, I learned with time over the past year that I just cannot be around people for as long as I could and I can't give as much positive energy as I could for as long a period of, of a time so that was very very difficult but um, Michelle has come a really really long way and I, I think one of the most important things there's a few and i write about this in the book and and that's part of what the book is about uh, it's how to deal with grief how do we get through something and and the worst of pains and 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 go on and find a way to happiness and obviously it's subjective but I, i feel like there's a few things that are universal and one of them is the the social network the community around you and had never heard the the saying before you have a village behind mm-hmm. you in our case, I felt like we had a small country behind us right. and that 's really important and to be able to be especially as a man you know this you, you look at right now hashtag me too um, it, which is really big for women, and rightfully so uh, there 's a lot of uh, inequalities when it comes to women women I think make seventy eight cents to the dollar of a male doing the same job and and uh, it's a very important topic but sometimes we forget that men have things that we need to work on as well and we're often raised in somewhat of a macho mm-hmm. society where I can handle it exactly or you think that other people perceive you as having to be able to handle it and it's okay to cry it's okay mm-hmm. to speak about it it's okay to feel down and uh, I remember the last time I cried before this happened and that was almost 10 years before when my grandma passed away right. it's not that I don't think it's okay to cry I just don't cry very often and then to crying several times a day yeah. and I write about it in the book as well and it, the book is somewhat of dark humor in there like you know you learn to try to eat yeah. while you cry and you all these things you know and uh, it's it's I, I spoke to to a guy that I know who lost his brother and from when he This was in the late 70s, early 80s. His dad never mentioned that child's name again. Wow. Because 60s, 70s, 80s, as a man, you didn't do that. Right. And we are not good as a society, not just in the United States, worldwide. You know, being a man, you often think that showing emotions is a sign of weakness. right? And that's why I I think and hope that this book... You know, whether you're a soldier coming back from Iraq or Afghanistan with PTSD, you've seen your friends um, pass. And, and like I said before, you know, a mother writing about losing a child um, writes about the same thing as I write. But maybe a soldier can relate more to me. Yeah, of course. Um, of course. and And recognize that it's okay. It's okay to talk about what you're going through and, in fact, not talking about it, it's it's just going to make it worse. Yeah, definitely. It's weird,
0: though, because here is where, for me, it was really weird because it's like, I could talk about it like you do, mm. completely calm, normal, to the point, all of that. I could even feel that way a lot of the time. Yeah. And yet, there was something else going on where, like, for example, the thing that happened with me is that if you ask me, hey, how are you handling things, I would feel like, Okay, you know, as good as one could in given the circumstances. Yes. And yet, for example, the thing that clearly betrayed the fact that I was I wasn't lying to other people, I was probably subconsciously lying to myself is the fact that my body started crumbling down. Mm-hmm. You know, physically and health wise I started crumbling down because clearly And again, I thought I was being honest with myself. It's like, I don't know how the fuck I can be more honest than this. You know, I'm saying, I'm talking about it. I'm discussing it. I'm addressing my emotion. I'm doing all of that. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not like I'm not doing it. And yet, you know, the body doesn't lie. You know, suddenly if your body starts breaking down because of that stuff, that means that some emotion is not being processed the right way. You Mm -hmm. know? And so that's kind of what he left me puzzled, where, you know, I really didn't know what, how to deal with it. You know, I didn't know how to like one thing that has left me that I still have to this day. Big time is like, I have a level of hypochondria to the hundred power, you know, it's like if somebody's knees five miles away from me, I'm thinking everybody I know will die tomorrow oh, and yeah. you know, not fun that's clearly is a degree i mean i recognize it that's a degree of mental illness in that sense where it's like something in your mind snaps the wrong where it completely leaves any sense of rationality and you're just you're going in a weird direction that's in a context where pretty much anybody would say oh man the way you handled it was great you handled it you know such strength. And I'm like, yeah, not really. You know, it's like, yes, sure. In some ways and really not in other ways. Yeah, And I feel that to this day I have, and again, it's a little less over time, but to this day I have things that I feel like I know I haven't handled them well, but I don't know how I could have handled them better. You know, where it's one of those paradoxes that no, you say was that a good solution? No, it wasn't. But I, you put me in the same exact spot. I don't know how it would have been better. You
2: know, that's a very very good point, and and I I think personally um, that unfortunately, you, you know, f- from your book to like mm-hmm. you said the way you've handled it, I don't think you could have handled it differently, and I don't think uh, myself I could have handled it differently. But in in, in our case. Um, Liam has a little brother now, Nico, who's five months old. And mm-hmm. in, in our case, you know, Michelle going through a pregnancy again, thinking, "What if something happens during the pregnancy?" You know, even now when he's here. When
0: did she get pregnant? Was it right Co- before or right after? Couple
2: of months after. After. So okay. we were in the midst. We wanted children to be pretty close together, yeah. so we were already in the midst of planning. Anyways, yeah. honest to be honest, I didn't think Michelle was going to get pregnant of that course. close to it. Um, just because of the stress hormones she was dealing with but she did and going through it you know especially the first three months when the amount the the level of of uh uh, miscarriages up to 20 25 percent i was thinking what happens you know if she if the child doesn't make it is she gonna be able to handle it and even now when he's born you know it's really important to us a couple of things one to make sure he gets his own identity. You know, mm-hmm. it's been a lot of media around Liam yeah. and we have the nonprofit, but to never feel that he li- lives in Liam's shadow. And as well as, as given him, we were very, it was very important to us with Liam to make sure that he got to discover things and, and uh, to not be overbearingly protective of Nico, which is, very easy to become because oh, wrap them in bubble wrap. you <laughs> yeah, on. of course. And you know, as uh, even with Liam, you know, I, at times I would wake up at night, I go watch him, and it looked like he wasn't breathing, mm. and and said, you know, you of go course. check it. With Nico, even more so. But and the the truth of the matter, I, I believe is that again, we have to accept that it's okay not to be okay. That it's a scar that will always be there. This will never go away. You know, there was of it course. will always live with us. It gets better um
1: does it get better or do you get numb to it because i sort of see it both ways that that hole is always going to be there it's always going to be there you just become more adjusted to its presence
2: yes and no you learn to live with it and it's a little bit cliche to say that time heals wounds and but it is true as well the difference if you look at if you compare it to a physical injury when you break a leg for example now the part of you know doing rehab and so on can make sure that that the the bone heals as well as it can. So you don't live with uh, chronic pain for the rest of your life. That's the similarity. You've got to handle it the right way. Otherwise, it's going to be there forever. And it's always going to be there forever. The difference is that emotional pain that it's not rational, right? So a few months into it, you're like, you know, I'm, I'm getting better. Whereas a broken leg, it gets better and then it's good. Whereas here, a few months go by and you think you're on the right track and all of a sudden it comes crashing back again. And it's those seven steps of grief um don't come one after the other you come back to another one yeah, and you yeah. go back and forth between them what is important is i think to to learn to accept that because of what happened your life it hasn't stopped but it's different um so you do learn to to live with it and it's always present um but and and you do you do get numb to it in a certain way, but at the same time, um, you, you. what's important to realize is that life goes on no matter what, and all you can do is make the best of what we have. We have a short time here anyways, and you know I, I'm not religious per se. I believe in something, but I don't have time to classify myself, and uh, I'm hoping that one day I will see Liam again, um, but even if that's not the case, then... Um, you know like I said I think he would want us to live as happy of a life as possible that's in the end of the day you know that's what life is all about Uh, again it sounds cliche to say it's all about happiness but no money no money in the world no 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 success in the world nothing matters more than happiness Um, and to lead as happy of a life as possible should be it's an obligation not just to ourselves but The people that surround us, our Mm -hmm. family, our friends, our our other kids, our our, our spouses, our partners, uh, and and try to make it as positive as possible. And and, uh, it's difficult. But back to the original question, how do you do it is you decide Mm -hmm. step one. It's like a New Year's resolution. I'm going to lose 30 pounds this year. Okay, how am I going to do that? How am I going to lose my first pound? How am I going to lose my first 10 pounds? And you're going to slip and fall. You're going to not work out for a week. You fall off the wagon and then you just got to pick it up and say it's okay to, to slip. It's okay to yeah. fall, but your eyes got to be at the end of that road at the end of that dark tunnel where you see the light again and, and get there. And, and life didn't stop. It just changed.
1: I did a... I did a movie a few years back about justice and forgiveness. And mm-hmm. it was Northern Ireland during the Troubles. It was Israeli-Palestinian where fathers were losing their kids. Interesting. And the last one was Rwanda, 15 years later. And in Rwanda, which is 8.5 million people down to 7.5 million people with 850,000 perpetrators, they were in a terrible place. There's no way they can maintain that many people in prison. You can't have an eighth of your population in prison. Yeah. And it reached a point where if you would come and admit your crimes to your village, they would welcome you back. Mm. And to me, I always thought there's no capacity for yeah. me to, to allow that kind of forgiveness. I mean, these are women where he literally macheted your child in half on your back as you ran away. And these women were forgiving him. And it baffled me, of course. Now, first of all, you seem to handle it amazingly well. You don't seem to have much hate festering in you. No. And that's what these women said. that after 15 years, I'm doing more damage to myself with this hate burning inside me. And so, did it fix anything? Did it make anything come back? No. But it enabled them to, like you say, lead a happier life. So, and if you don't want to answer this question, I totally understand, but... Are you in any way able to forgive this stupid, terrible woman? Or how do you deal with that? Or is that something that's maybe 10 years down the road or never? It's a good question. And uh, uh, yeah, not a problem answering it. I
2: said very early on, and I think that's one of the reasons why I was able to move faster along with my grieving process, that um, had that woman the first day in court stood up and said, I'm guilty, I would have been able to one day hug her and forgive her. Because she pled not guilty, because she never showed any remorse, because she never reached out to us and never apologized. She had her chance in court. By the time the court case was finishing up, it wouldn't have mattered. It was too late because she had shown, truly she showed her who she was when she stopped for 20 seconds and decided to drive away. Yep. But even with that, I would have been able to forgive her because shock, whatever, you know, we do irrational things then. But now I don't care I I hope she dies in jail but I don't spend time thinking about her you have so many negative emotions going through you anyways and uh, it's an interesting thing that you worked on and I think forgiveness is really important in your case Daniela there's not really anyone to Mm -hmm. to blame it's it's nature so it's not there's no one for you to turn to and say I forgive you but forgiving a lot of times it's more for yourself than someone else
1: that's exactly Um, what we learned
2: yeah, and, and, and it is important because you're going you're gonna to live with a lot of negativity and you have to be able to learn how to deal with it and to get through it. At this point, I, I wouldn't forgive her, but I also don't care about her and I don't spend time thinking well, about her. Right. My, my, my anger, which isn't taking over me and not making me uh, bitter or angry, is with society Uh, With the American legal system when it comes to drunk driving, but that's why I'm going to change it. It's not a question about when I'm going to, if I'm going to change it, but when I'm going to change it. Because uh, when the Mr. Film and Documentary called Letters to Liam, and uh, it's been filmed, they've been embedded with us for seven months, and uh, I I say in that documentary that you know I'm willing to face anyone, uh, lobbyists and so on, and we've been told several times already, you're up against giants. It's not going to happen. Well, everything is impossible until it's done, right? And the reason why I know that we will succeed is, one, I know we're fighting for the right thing. Two, there's no counter-argument. There's a lot of laws in this country uh, where I don't always agree with them when it comes to weapon control. And soon, a lot of times, I know you're from Nashville, especially in areas such as Tennessee and Texas and so on. As soon as you start talking about it, it's like, whoa, 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 We can't take my guns away from me. I was in the military. I trained law enforcement. I understand that there's people that need to have weapons. However, I do believe that you need some type of uh, a, a control. system right now it 's more difficult to get a, it takes longer to get a library card than it does to get a, a gun license and that 's in California, which is considered one of the most restricted countries when it com- uh, states when it comes to to, to weapons yeah. but even though I don't agree with the counter-argument of, you know, Second Amendment and, and so on, um, and again, I'm not trying to take weapons away, and usually the counter-argument is, no, 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 it's not a problem with weapons, it's mental health that's the problem. Well, how about not giving people mental health problems access to weapons? Yeah. But there's the counter-argument, so it's not as clear-cut. In this case, it's very, very clear-cut. Yeah drink do what you want that's another fight and deciding on you know what when when is enough enough and how much and so on but getting behind the wheel you do not have the right to do so and because we're fighting for the right thing um and i've been told that you're up against lobbyists that yeah yeah i am and i have never fought someone i've never been politically involved before but they've never been up against someone like me and I will not stop. This might become a lifetime mission, but I will not stop. And I'll be willing to sit down and debate and converse and argue with anyone. I've opened up on social media to a lot of these lobbyists and uh, association organizations that are fighting for keeping Point Zero Eight. Not a single one of them, of them have responded. And I think I know why, because they know that they can't sit down with me. But we are going to change it and we are going to win. Awesome.
0: Perfect. Anything that you want to add about links, anything about your,
2: where people can find you, all of that? Um, yes. So Liam's life foundation is liamslife.org. That's a son's nonprofit. Um, I'm hoping that people can join the fight because this fight isn't just for us and not just in for Liam, but it's for, to make sure that other parents don't have to go through what we went through. Um, and again, someone joins our team every fifty three minutes unfortunately and uh, um and then letters to liam is the, the the name of the documentary my book uh life is a moment is coming out this spring um and all of that will be on the website for liam's life myself Marcus corval obviously you can follow our fight on that as well life is a moment the name the reason why I named the book life is a moment is uh because liam's time on this earth was very very short it was 15 months but it's a famous saying that um, the no matter how small of a foot to leave an imprint on this world and uh, in his 15 months he's done more than a lot of people do in an mm-hmm. eight year life and life is a moment spells out liam as well um, so letters to liam it's gonna most likely come out summer of 2018 um and if people go, that's on social media as well. like just leave to see the trailer. And uh, we're currently looking, we have an Indiegogo for it to to raise the funds needed to finish post-production and finding a narrator for it.
0: What's going on with your Facebook page that I saw so it disappeared? and
2: <laughs> What's going on? So it's crazy. So when we did the social media challenge of doing 100 kicks for seven days and I did my seven <clears throat> days and it didn't feel like I did enough. So I decided to kick 100 kicks for a year straight. So I did the 100 kicks for a year, every single day. And when I did the kicks, I put music in the background. So most likely it's infringement rights, even though I gave credit to the artist. But it wasn't malicious. I just didn't know. Ignorance. And um, I've written to Facebook. It's weird because it shut me down. Never gave me an explanation to why it was shut down. Then I wrote to them six times. And uh, all of a sudden, they opened it back up again haven't posted anything since they i got closed down in november even though i stopped kicking in september and then they opened up for a month and now it's just shut down last week again and the only thing i posted was a psa a public safety announcement um, from the department of transportation before new year saying don't drink and drive the thing is i have all the rights to it because it's me they use me for it um but i'm not sure if it's because of the kicks i've written to facebook i said Please let me open up the account again. Give me 24 hours to rectify it. If you yeah. want, I'll take down yeah. 365 videos. Um, and also because I have pictures and videos of my son on my Facebook that I would really like to retrieve. But again, nothing has been malicious. And I, I will make sure that I follow whatever rules they have. And I'm I'm really hoping and pleading with them. Fortunately, uh, Facebook don't have a phone number. They don't have a customer service department. So I'm I'm hoping I'm, it's in their hands. I'm hoping they can open it. Because they up. just...
0: There's no way to communicate, basically. They just uh, suddenly, they reopen. Now we close it again, and now they haven't talked to you since. No,
2: they just wrote an email saying, infringement rights. And I I presume it's because of that, but they haven't even explained it. And I said, give me one more chance. I've had Facebook for 10 years. You never had any issues with me, and you will never have issues with me again. Uh, And I'm hoping that they will open it back up. That is maddening
0: that there is no way. I mean, when you consider how much stuff we put on Facebook or how many important things and stuff, the fact yeah. that somebody can just shut it down and not even tell you anything about it or give you a chance
2: to have a conversation. Yeah. That's insane. And especially like you said, when there's so much negative stuff that you find on, totally. on Facebook and yeah. the hatred and, and I'm actually trying to do a good thing. Yeah, I'm of course. trying to, to raise awareness, but yeah, it's it's uh, it, it sucks because it's one of my main ways of of spreading the the message. But so I'm if you know
0: if you know anybody who works for Facebook, reach out, let us know, and uh,
2: let's hook Marcos up because this is ridiculous. Thank you. And uh, another thing that we did last year was we did uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for 24 hours. So we did a Jiu Jitsu marathon. I was actually on the mat for 24 hours, setting a world record where I did 105 five-minute rounds. We are going to do it again February 24th uh, at Systems Training Center. Again, you can find out the information that on in Liam's life. Uh, it's open to anyone. I don't care if people have experience. Uh, last year, was, it went above and beyond. Uh, we had people from Henne Gracie, Heron Gracie, Mac Danzig, Fabrice Verdum coming out. Um, and it was beautiful to see the martial art community coming together for a great course not about fighter's legacy and sure. so on, but together doing some, making a difference. And uh, February 24th, we're doing it again. And I'm not going to be on the mat for 24 hours. I'm, I'll be there, but I'm not, I'm not going to be sure. rolling for 24 hours again. <laughs> so if you are in the Los Angeles area, I would love to have you out. Sweet. Awesome. Thanks for sharing your story. Thank you guys. It was thank I thank appreciate
1: Well, the funky music means one thing, and that's the end of another fine episode of the Drunken Towers podcast, a very heavy story, but man, does he handle it well, and I hope I have the capacity to uh, find the silver lining in tragedy the way he has, because such an impressive guy.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah unreal, absolutely unreal. It's funny, um, one thing I didn't, I, I was going to mention while I was here, but my, my son's friend, vehicular homicide, and he got sentenced yesterday. Wow. And four years, and this kid was like nineteen and a half when this happened. And now, you know, good behavior, two years, you're probably out. And since it's not violent, he probably won't have to go to maximum security. But I don't think two years inside the men's colony in San Luis Obispo is going to do him any favors. No, but then but again, he it's deserves two years
0: it. for also killing somebody. That's the that's pretty nuts. That's I don't know. Those
1: well, are and it's funny. He's talking about how that woman like pled not guilty. No. He played guilty. Yeah. He apologized to the family. Yeah, yeah, okay. you know? So a 19-year-old, I think I can yeah. give a little more. I, agree. Cause I did stupid shit when I was 19, yeah. at, for sure. And um, it's just like that, that number of like 80 times before you get popped for a no, DUI. That's insane.
0: That's complete insanity, in fact. And uh, it's good to hear Marcos talk about it with uh, such clarity and calm yeah, on yeah. the topic. But yeah, it's completely nuts. Cool. Why don't we? Um, let's give thanks to the sweet folks who donated to us. Absolutely. So let's jump into screwing up their names. Let the pottering begin. We have Matt Chebre, Mike Palladino. Oh, finally a name I can pronounce. Oh. Palladino. Yeah, Doesn't that it, sound right? It does sound yes. right. Okay.
1: Except he's from Canada's polino. <laughs> no.
0: <Nah. laughs> Sean Cavanaugh. Maybe somewhere around there. Michael Gates. Jonathan Waterloo, Stephen McKee, Aaron McLaughlin, Chris Talent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Very much appreciated. Yes, yes, yes. And seen some
1: new names in there. How nice.
0: Yep. Um, what else? What else? What else? Thank you to uh, Daisy House for letting us use the music. Thank you, of course, to the trifecta of our sponsor, Onnit, Datsusara, and Shore Design. The links are in the episode notes. Onnit, you know the deal, O-N-N-I-T, Datsusara is at dsgear.com. Sure Design, I believe it's sure Design T-shirts.com. Yeah. But again, Google is your friend, so you can find all these things. Or again, easier, you get, on some of them, I don't think on Datsusara, but we do on Onnit, on Sure Design, have some discounts, so you can check the link in the episode notes. We also have discounts on the Awesome Chocolates by Coracao Chocolates, so if you decide Valentine's Day coming up, you're in the market for chocolate, check these guys out.
1: I forgot what the proper verbiage is for the Amazon link.
0: Um, um, yeah, it's Amazon is scary because they beat us if we say the wrong words. Uh, if we encourage people to use Amazon because it will help the podcast, is a bad thing. So we can't really do that.
1: But a link does exist. Yeah, we but are if basically... You want to shop through there, you're welcome to.
0: Exactly. So there is that. We have that in the episode notes. And it helps so much, man. So if you guys... Uh, Okay, I can't say anything. Uh, we are part of this uh, partnership with Amazon, so that's all. That's all I've got to say. You guys fill in the blanks. Um, we got our
1: 2,000th loan through Kiva. That means our tiny membership has done $500 of loans apiece when you divide it evenly. That is, is amazing. Awesome. 100,000 is going to happen in the next probably six weeks, and we invite everybody to join us, Kiva.org, and join the Team Duncan Daoist, and, and let's get to you know 300 members before you know it. But uh, just... Chatting with a couple of the people that are already members, it's, we never dreamed that it was going to be $100,000. I
0: got an email yesterday from somebody who was uh, joined our Drunken Taoist thing on Kiva. That was sweet.
1: And I'm ready for 250000 Why not? So if you can go to $100,000, you can make it to that. Absolutely. And we're rolling now. So thanks for that, as always. It's all very exciting. I have in chats with the guys. I can probably, for the, our top 10 loaners, when we hit $100,000, we'll at very least get a T-shirt. Sweet. So... And, uh, I think the rest of us just get buttons and stickers, but I think that's cool of them to do.
0: Absolutely. Very sweet. Uh, as I mentioned in the intro, a friend of mine opened an MMA gym in LA, MMA, Jiu Jitsu, kickboxing, you name it. So if you are in LA, you're looking for a place to train, check out, I'll put the links in the episode notes. You do get a discount if you mention the drunken Taoist. So if it's close to you, it's something you've been wanting to do. New year resolution, go for it. Um, anything else we need to say?
1: Happy new year, everybody. You bet. Maybe I don't want to hear this. No, you don't. <laughs> in questo caso In questo caso le di Dio. Duncan showed
0: you the way, huh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this was great. It's fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. We've been yeah, having well, a great hour nice. here. I
0: have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange dun,
1: dun, dun, dun. I
0: completely got lost are we doing the outro or the intro we're outro. Outro. oh we are out <laughs> okay sorry so that's so let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and... Uh, uh,
1: your accent, it just... Whatever that movie is you were trying to tell me about. Can you translate it. for me, please? I believe the word was Tombstone. Yeah, that one, <laughs> <Tombstone>. <laughs> exactly.
0: Just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back wow. to work. Funky.